Thank you, Luciana. This morning's scripture reading comes from Exodus 3.18. I'll be reading through Exodus chapter 4, verse 5. You can find it in your program if you're here in person uh, or in your Bible if you're at home. This, by the way, is God speaking to Moses when Moses is in the wilderness. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they don't believe me? Or listen to me, what if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. This is the word of the Lord. This is quite strange. <laughs> Perhaps for you as well. Oh, yes, thank you. I can have permission. Thank you for permission. <laughs> I, I would first say that it's been uh, an incredible privilege to be able to support Chris and the congregation in this obviously very particularly difficult time. Uh, Many of you have walked those same steps that Chris and his family have and why you were able to reach out in so many ways. It strikes me this morning that when I first started preaching, I was was tied to one microphone in the pulpit. (laughs) Now I find, many years later, I'm tied to one camera in the pulpit. (laughs) When I first was able to use a a portable mic, it actually had a cord on it in the olden days. And when I first put it on, and many of you who may have been around when I preached know that I would move around a good bit. I might be standing in the middle of the aisle preaching to you sometimes. Well, when I had that first corded mic and I felt like I could move, 
By the time I finished the children's story, I turned around so many times that I had tangled myself in the cord. Uh, I, I did learn to manage to keep from that happening after a while. So thank you for the opportunity to be here. It is uh, an incredible privilege to be here again. Esther and I have an opportunity often to visit other church services uh, electronically, virtually. Um, we have many friends that are different places. Our daughter is a worship leader in Michigan, and so we have a chance to see other churches doing what Gary and Tim have been doing and Chris and putting things together. And we would have to say, frankly, from our hearts that uh, Middle Street does it about the best we have seen it any place. Not, not that it's fancy or anything like that or that it's got all the different moving pieces, but when you watch, you really feel pulled in. So thank you for that. Let me ask you to pray with me, if you would, please. <clears throat> Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, would be acceptable to you. O Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This passage of scripture, this story, if you will, this reality check of what happened to Moses, you get a little bit of a sense of what's going on, but sometime take time in, in chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus and read the before and after parts of that story. You will find Moses realizing that at that point in his life, he was 80 years old. 80 years old. He'd been on the run for 40 years from Egypt after murdering one of the Egyptians. He had been tending flocks of sheep for his father-in-law. You want to be 80 tending sheep for your father-in-law? I don't think so. It's not the kind of future that I suspect he hoped for. But in the midst of those mountain meadows and rocky crags, pushing the sheep from one place to another, leading them on, he notices something. He notices a bush that's on fire, that's burning, but it's not burning. It's glowing somehow with some something. And he goes over to investigate. And when he does is almost as soon as he gets close to the bush, the voice of the Lord comes out and says, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Now that sounds, that's a familiar story and it sounds like that's the way it ought to be. But when I think of where he was in the middle of the desert in the forsaken lands of Midian and the difficulty of finding feed for his sheep, working for his father-in-law, being 80 years old, trudging around the mountains. Actually, 80 gets closer every day. <laughs> he takes off his shoes. 
You see, God has found Moses. He's found Moses. Moses has been a lot of places. A baby out of bondage. An adopted son into royalty. A runaway murderer. A son-in-law tending sheep in the mountains. God found him. You see, there's a wonderful thing about the 23rd Psalm, the very end of that Psalm, when it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm not a linguist, I'm not uh, powerful or, or skilled in language, but it's spoken of mostly by those who read much better than I, that the word, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, that is not a puppy dog romping through the grass behind you when you're going across the yard. It says that surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Shall pursue me. Like the hound who catches a scent and never lets go. God waited his time. And it was time then. Moses was there in the wilderness. God came down and called him and said, Moses, I have a job for you. I'm going to send you back to the people that you knew and that you tried to escape. Tell them to let my people go. I think Moses' assessment of that was really pretty good. Not me. I can't do this. This is not realistic, God. Someone else? God has said, I will go with you. And all of the time that he's standing, in a sense, face to face with the power of God in this bush, it's where he spends every day. But it was holy ground. It became holy ground because that's where God met Moses. So in a sense, one of the questions for us today is, where's your holy ground? Where do you spend your every day? What's your stuff made of? I was trying to think of some of the different kinds of things. Changing diapers, Mother's Day made me kind of think of that. So, changing diapers. Zooming. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're Zooming. Maybe you're scrubbing floors and you're Zooming. Maybe you're building houses or constructing something or working in a project and Zooming. Maybe you're teaching and Zooming. Working at the shipyard and Zooming. Surely our holy ground or our everyday is indeed all these things, especially these days. Zooming. You can hardly turn around now that you don't have, I don't have, some kind of a Zoom call on your calendar. Almost everyone. All of this is holy ground. When God has a task or a ministry, God will come and find you. Will instruct you in what you can do. And most of the time, I can't do that. Some clergy friends would often say that when asking people to be deacons, 
One of the first responses, oh, I couldn't be a deacon. You know, I, you know I'm not worthy to, to do that. I can't lead other people like that and be responsible. And my sense is, that's the first qualification for being a deacon. Is you know you can't do that on your own. The Lord will always make your ground holy. Some years ago when I underwent cancer surgery, I took some time off church, more than your three weeks. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to Catholic Medical Center in, up in Concord to have my surgery. I've, you know, I'm prepared to just separate from all the responsibilities and to just concentrate on my own healing and what I need to do. And I'm not pastor. I'm, I'm just there to do what needs to be done and take care of myself, which pastors are not always good at doing. So I finished the surgery. I'm, you know, I've got my morphine, morphine pump on a pole. No pain, thank goodness. And they wheel me into a room. I have a roommate who's next to the door. They wheel me around the bottom base of his bed and behind the curtain, and so I'm separated from curtain. Get me all settled in the bed, and, and everything's just fine, and I'm, I'm just trying to get comfortable. And what appears to be the charge nurse comes in and walks to the foot of my bed and says, um... Excuse me, Mr. Martindale, would you like to be called Mr. Martindale or Reverend? And I knew at that moment my cover was blown. <laughs> there, was, there was no way. To the extent that she walked out of the door and quietly, almost like a stage whisper, maybe it was intended that I hear it, daughter speaks to her father in the bed next to me behind the curtain and says, Dad, do you suppose maybe he would pray with you later? That was not what I wanted or expected. But I have to tell you that over the next 12 hours, the experience that I had with Arthur on the other side of the curtain, we never saw each other's faces was one of the most profound spiritual experiences for me and for him. It's a long story, a short time, but just was a time when I realized that even in that situation, God met me there in that room on the other side of the curtain and made that ground holy. I wasn't equipped for anything. I just wasn't feeling any pain, which was good. Holy ground. Holy ground is where you're standing. It's where you're sitting. It's where you are. God finds Moses, and the second thing he does is he lays out this plan to rescue his people and Moses says, I, I, you know, I can't do that. 
They won't listen to me and a whole host of excuses if you read the whole text and in and around there. And he asks Moses a question. Moses, what's in your hand? Staff. Pretty important everyday stuff for a shepherd. Lead the sheep, hit the sheep, beat the wolf. Important stuff. Keep your balance on a rocky ledge. But not the stuff of going into a kingdom and saying, release my people. But God says, throw the stick. Throw the staff on the ground. He did. I would have jumped back. Changes into a snake. God says, pick it up by the tail. I don't know if I could have done that. (laughs) But in the presence of that power, I think Moses knew that he better do something. And he grabbed it and it turned back into a staff. And the reality of that is that The everyday stuff we have in our hands is pretty powerless. But when God takes control of it in our lives and we offer it to God, you see, whatever we have of our own daily stuff, our own possessions, our own sense of being, We have to let go of it. We have to let go of it so that God can take control of it. Then God gives us back that same stick, gives us back. We don't change who we are. God changes what we can be. And it's all kinds of things. What is it in your hand? I can't answer that for you. You're the only one who can answer that. But it doesn't take much for God to show the power that needs to be there. A staff for Moses. You remember another character in the Bible, David. A little boy. Tended sheep with a, with a club and a staff. Minor things. Five smooth stones he took and a slingshot, and he defeated Goliath. Later, he played a harp and quieted, quieted King Saul's depression or his anger or anxiety, whatever it was he suffered from, the music of David's heart, in God's hand changed his spirit. Who you are, infused with the power of God, makes a difference. And it's going to be different for all of us. Luciana, can I use you as an example? When you speak, I hear your accent in the background. When you pray, I hear your heart language. That's part of what you have in your hand. When people hear what you have to say, they may say, she sounds like me. I can hear that. 
What is it in your hand? Your occupation, your skills, your possessions. All God asks is that we we let our grip go. But then we let our grip go. We have to leave our hands open to receive what God puts back in our hands. Moses had to take the staff back. You see, we can't receive anything with clenched fists. A children's story that I used to do with children was a jar full of quarters. And I would drop a quarter or two into the child's hand and say, you know, catch that with it. Now, I want you to close your fist. And I want you to hold it really tight. And I would pour the bucket of quarters over top. And I said, I want you to catch all you can, but don't open your hand. And all the quarters would be in a pile. You, you can't receive without your hands open. When God comes and finds us and makes our ground holy and takes what we're willing to give to him, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. In fact, many times it's going to be difficult. But God's looking not for your abilities. God's looking for your availability. To be available for God's work. To allow your stuff of who you are to be used. You may be a mechanic, you may sew, you may knit, you may cook, you may read, you may crunch numbers, any number of things. But they can be transformed in God's hands. Are you available? Are you available to be used? By your God? See, the Lord is always available to us. The one thing God made clear to not only Moses, but all who came before and all who came after, and to you and me, is that I will never leave you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I won't abandon you. I will go with you. I'll go before you and behind you, beside you, under you, over you. That's the promise. So if, if you're available, if you're available, you're not alone. The living God will transform what you have. No matter what your station in life or your abilities what I could do, what God could do with me 25 years ago is not what God does with me now. He uses my different stuff. Mabel Freeman, a wonderful friend from many years ago. Quite well-to-do, comfortable house, very generous spirit. 
In her 90s, she suffered a stroke. She had to go to rehab. She had to go to a nursing home. She was so independent before that. She had been a widow for many years and she took care of herself and many other people. After the stroke, she found herself set aside. She could not do anything hardly that she ever could do before. She did recover. She gained much of her ability to move and do things. But she said to me, she said to me, you know, I never realized what it felt like to be powerless. Said, I was never patient with people who couldn't do things. She said, I am going to be much more patient now. And she was. It changed her perspective. It did that, and that was part of who she was. So what you did years ago, what you do now, what you will do in the future, will all change. And the thing that you throw on the ground in front of the Lord, the thing that you open your hand with, will change from time to time. So what's in your hands? What do you have? What do you have that you're willing to lope in your hands and lay before the Lord and watch it transformed by his power? Amen.